0: Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning in this place, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I remember when Christianity turned me into a liar. That's sort of a wink-wink a arresting way to start a sermon. As you'll see, it's not actually true. And don't get me wrong, I'd told plenty of lies before, but it was Christianity, or at least the way I experienced it, that turned me into a regular, professional, strategic, and duplicitous person who would lie to my closest friends. But again, it wasn't actually Christianity at all. It wasn't the religion of Jesus Christ and the Bible. It was a kind of fake, self-made Christianity that I had created for myself, a fake Christianity, in fact, that threatened to kill me. This happened in college uh, when I became part of something called an accountability group. I want to be careful here because accountability groups can be wonderful things. So I don't share my experience in order to claim that nobody should ever be in an accountability group, only as an illustration of how I, for years, misunderstood what the Christian life was really all about. Now, accountability groups, at least as I experienced them in college, were groups of close friends to whom you would confess your sins and temptations in the hope that with their help, you could succumb to those temptations and fall into those sins less and less. And the idea, again, probably the wrong idea, but this was our idea at the time, was that the idea of having to confess your sins to your friends would be so embarrassing that you'd think twice about committing them next time. And again... Don't hear me wrong. There is nothing wrong with confessing your sins to your friends, nothing wrong with fighting your temptation with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by almost any means necessary. If confessing your sins to your friends will keep you on the right path, do it. If installing web monitoring software that will send your browsing history to a loved one, if that will help you stay off certain websites, do that. But if you're like me, operating as I was then under a profound misunderstanding of how the promises of God in Christ actually work. If you're like I was in college, and you don't really want your friends to think that you're a sinner, accountability groups might turn you into a liar. Now for us, us uh, early 20-something young men, the major thing we'd focus on in our accountability group meetings were, on the one hand, what we called quiet times. You were supposed to spend significant alone time every morning with the Lord, in the scriptures and in prayer, and of course, sexual purity. Now, luckily for me, I wasn't the kind of person, I know you're shocked to hear this, who had to worry too much about sexual purity, At least of the flesh and blood variety. So I became a professional liar when it came to quiet times. And remember here, I'm lying to my best friends. I was good at it too. Because you can't just have a simple failure to success arc. One quiet time the first week, two the second week, three the third and so on. It has to be believable. So I'd say some weeks I'd had five or six quiet times, and then I'd confess later that I'd only had one or two, and then I'd gradually improve back up to having five or six each week again so that the group could congratulate me on my improvement. Meanwhile, the truth was much darker. I was hardly ever having any kind of quiet time at all. So do you see what's happening here? This group of close friends and I, we were using God's good commandments, be sexually pure, spend time in prayer and Bible study. We were using these commandments not to point each other to Jesus, but in fact to point us back to ourselves. All I could think about was what I was doing or not doing, and I didn't spare a thought. For what Jesus had done for me. And the result was that I wasn't even remotely doing any of the things that I was ostensibly using the accountability group to help me do. So here's the truth that I learned from my life as a professional Christian liar. The one thing that can actually change your life and change your heart and lead to actual Christian growth, maturity, and sanctification. The finished work of Jesus Christ is the first thing you forget when you decide that in order to change your life and your heart, you need to point to yourself or to your friends or to anything other than Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, this truth is played out in brilliant detail in the famous story of the transfiguration. Jesus, as we read, takes Peter and James and John with him up a mountain, and all of a sudden, right in front of their eyes, he is transfigured. He becomes dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach him. Moses and Elijah appear, and the two of them and Jesus start talking together. And this is a living, breathing sermon illustration. Moses represents the law, Elijah the prophets, and Jesus the gospel. Sort of a biblical shorthand here. These three figures represent the three major ways that the Lord has expressed himself throughout time. Moses delivered the Ten Commandments to the people, Elijah was their greatest prophet, and Jesus is their promised prophet. Messiah, And Peter, seeing these titans, these three symbolic figures all conversing together, thinks that this must be heaven itself, the greatest thing ever. He suggests that the disciples build three dwellings, apparently with the idea that they would sort of stay there, maybe live in this commune on the mountaintop forever. He didn't want this to end. But Mark Who's writing this story makes this interesting sort of apology for Peter, saying, He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. This is sort of the biblical equivalent of, It was the wine talking, right? (laughs) Peter has obviously made some kind of mistake here because immediately a cloud comes over them and a voice comes from the cloud with a corrective This is my son. The beloved, listen to him. And they look around. Moses and Elijah are gone. And only Jesus remains. In order to understand what this story has to proclaim to us this morning, I think it will behoove us to figure out what Peter's mistake is. What's so bad about wanting to preserve what must have been an amazing moment? So much so that Mark feels like he needs to apologize for Peter in the text. That's kind of a weird inclusion, right? That's like how John feels like in his gospel that he needs to tell us that he outran Peter to the empty tomb on Easter morning. Unlike that, which honestly just feels like sort of a brag, this moment sheds light on something important. Mark intends us to understand that Peter is missing something. There's something he's not seeing. Peter looks at these three titanic figures of his faith, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and he thinks that this is a big three that he's got to keep together. He's thinking of it almost like Voltron, right? Does anybody have any idea what Voltron is anymore? The idea that with these three things, the law, the prophets, and the gospel, with our powers combined... We can do anything. Or like, for a simpler illustration, three equal sides of a triangle. But Peter is missing something crucial. That Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, are not equal to Jesus. Instead, they point to Jesus. Moses and Elijah are like spotlights. And the one being illuminated is Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets we see here are profoundly overshadowed by the gospel. In his second letter to the Corinthians, just before the reading that we read from this morning, St. Paul says, in fact, that the gospel is so glorious that it makes it as though the law, which was glorious, so glorious, in fact, that Moses, when he came down from the mountain, was glowing such that the people of Israel could not even look at him. The gospel is so much more glorious than that that it makes it as though that law has no glory at all. The glorious law, which is glorious as a reflection of God's own holiness, is like a flashlight shining in the noonday sun of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when all three of them, the law, The prophets and the gospel are standing there on the mountaintop. The cloud comes and almighty God says, this is my son, the beloved, this one. Listen to him. And in case the disciples were confused about which man they were supposed to be listening to, when they look around, when the cloud clears, the other two are gone. Only Jesus remains. And this announcement changes everything. I sometimes imagine what those college accountability groups could have been like. In fact, we're trying to make the ministry of this church what those groups should have been like. A group of beloved brothers and sisters in Christ coming together to praise the Lord and confess their sins. But then instead of being told that they need to go back and try harder to do better, and maybe they might get some measure of congratulations next week, instead of being pointed to each other or to themselves, they are pointed to the finished work of Christ. I hope that sounds familiar to you. That's what we do here. In college, my accountability group functioned like Peter seemed to want the Mount of Transfiguration to function. Like that Spider-Man meme with the three Spider-Men all pointing to each other. Three equals. But the result of that is that all of us accountability group members pointing to each other, and no one was pointing to Jesus. Jesus. But pointing to ourselves only ever leads to one place. It actually leads to death. St. Paul puts it very bluntly in Romans chapter 7. He says, Once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found, he says... That the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. The commandment that we think will bring us life. Good things like keep your body and mind pure. Spend time in God's word and in prayer. Be a good Christian. These things on their own pointing only to each other, can only bring us to death. And the way that they kill us is by making us forget the truth, by making us think that we must contribute something to our salvation, and blinding us to the good news that it is finished in Christ. As Luther put it, all we contribute to our salvation is sin and resistance. That the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus talks about this attempt to add obedience to the saving mix of Christ's finished work. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. That's Mark verses 21 and 22 and Peter by suggesting here on the Mount of Transfiguration that they keep Moses and Elijah with Jesus all three pointing to each other is trying to pour new wine into old wineskins he's trying to combine the old Moses and Elijah representing the law and prophets with the new Jesus Christ the one and only gospel You can't do that. The skins break, and everything's ruined. If you sew a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, it'll rip out the stitches, and the tear will be even worse than before. You don't combine the old and the new. The old here points to the new, showing just how glorious it is. The cloud comes... God's voice singles out Jesus. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The new overwhelms the old. The gospel overwhelms the law. Forgiveness actually brings about obedience. And the Old Testament bears witness. Moses and Elijah point inexorably to Jesus. As John wrote, the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We are a church brought together to praise God for the gospel. We are not a group of liars pointing ourselves to each other, telling each other to work harder, to do better. We are committed to pointing each other to Jesus. And the truth is that pregnant in that good news of Jesus Christ's finished work for you, The truth is that God has promised you the very growth, maturity, and sanctification that you were working so hard to achieve. It doesn't come from pointing to yourself or us pointing to each other. It comes from all of us together pointing to Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus' finished work for you that inspires Creates and grows actual faithful obedience. (laughs) So come worship with us. It will involve accountability, to be sure. Maybe to another Christian, probably to me as your pastor and to this church as your spiritual home. It will certainly involve accountability to God. So confess with us, be honest. God knows your shortcomings your sins when Moses and Elijah speak when you hear a requirement a rule a law you'll die a little just like Paul at the holiness and truth of that word and as a sinner you'll start to think about telling a lie don't do it instead confess be accountable But be accountable to a God who came to you in Christ, in a church that points you to Christ. Always remember the voice from the cloud points us finally away from Moses and to Jesus. That's the source of true obedience and sanctification. Further and deeper trust in the finished work of Christ. The gospel Outshines the law. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And when we listen to Jesus, what do we hear? Well, I'll I'll close from the many words I could have chosen. I'll close with Jesus' words from the throne of God in Revelation chapter 21. Behold, he announces, I am making everything new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. We sinners come thirsty, rightly found guilty by the law. And Jesus gives us water without cost, welling up from the spring that leads to eternal life. So let us live life satisfied, knowing that in Christ we have been made right with God. His work for you is finished. Amen.